Father, this morning we quiet our hearts before you, we, we come to you and we offer you what we have, our lives, our abilities, our energy. I pray that you will help us with the commitment that it takes to just follow. Sometimes we want a few more details than you are ready to give us. And sometimes it's difficult when your ways clash with ours. I pray that you will help us in these few moments that we have together here now in your word, that we'll be able to calm our hearts and our minds, remind ourselves of what it is that you have said to us, and that we might be encouraged and challenged this morning to trust you and to follow you very closely in whatever you have for us. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks, folks. You can have a seat. I have learned a few things about myself in my almost 48 years of living, and one of them is that my mind is very linear, works in very linear processes. And that sounds, well maybe it doesn't to you, but at first glance that sounds kind of cool, wow, he has a very linear mind. But let me tell you what that really means. What that really means is I can only focus on one thing at a time. I am not a multitasker. I have tried to do that, and it only results in me not getting anything accomplished. Let me tell you just how linear my mind is. I have one of those little uh, Bluetooth speakers in my office. It sits right on one of my bookshelves. There's a little gap in the books, and it sits right there. And the other day I was working. Uh, Tim wasn't there. It was just me alone in the office. And I said, you know what? I'm going to just put some music on while I'm studying, while I'm working. I had some things to do. And so I, you know, hooked it up to my phone, Bluetooth, whatever, and started playing some music. And I listened to a couple of songs. And I was working. I'm like, oh, yeah, I like that song. And so I listened to the song for a little bit. And I was like, I'm not getting anything done. I better turn it down a little bit. So I turned it down. And I'm working. And next thing I knew, I'm listening to the next song and not paying attention to what I'm doing. And I turned it down a little further, a little further. A little... Finally, I was just like, I might as well shut it off because I've got it down so low I can't even hear it. But that's... That's, I can't concentrate on more than one thing at once. Now, the opposite is Tim. When I come into the office, Tim has got music playing. He's listening to a podcast, reading a book, and talking to someone on the phone. And somehow getting it all done, my brain just does not work like that. Only one thing. I have one line of functioning circuits in my brain. They're all lined up, and that's just the only way that it works. The other thing that happens because of my, you know, malfunctioning brain, I guess, is that everything needs to make sense to me. And I don't mean that people's brains don't work this way, don't care about things making sense, but everything has to be logical. Like if something happens, I need to know why that happened. Or if someone says, hey, we need to do this, I need to know why we do this. Like if we do this, what's the next step? And I need to kind of have that figured out in order for me to buy into what it is that we're doing. Now, the problem with that is, is a, wow, that's good, you know, we should all be logical. But that problem with that is it, it has to be my logic. As long as it lines up with my logic, I'm good to go. If you have your logic and it's not logical to me, then I'm out. That's just the way that it works. So 
Now, you may not be handicapped by the same one line of functioning circuits like me, but I bet we do have something in common, and that is that you want things in your life to make sense. If you're going to be a part of something, if you're going to buy into something that's happening, you want it to make sense. I think we all want that. We all want to have a certain amount of control, a certain amount of say over what happens because it is, after all, my life, right? Isn't that the way that you think of it? I kind of like to have some say about this. I kind of like to know what's going to happen because this is my life. Well, this morning we are at the end of the Gospel of John. If you've been with us over the last few months, we've been walking our way through it. We're in chapter 21 today. We're going to read the last few verses of this book together and look at them. If you have been with us, you know that we have talked about a lot of stuff over the past seven or eight, nine months, however long it's been. But there's been a lot of stuff we haven't looked at. There's so much in this book When Tim and I sat down to originally look at it and teach it through with you, we had 58 messages. We said, we need 58 weeks to do this. And we started going through and we said, wow, we need to shrink that down some or we're never going to get all the way through. And so I think we brought it down to 36 or something like that. But there's so much in this book, but we're getting to the end in these last few verses and I want us to read them together this morning because they are so important uh, for us to see. We're going to see that our logic is not always the same as God's logic. And I think that we're going to learn two very important things about Jesus. And we're also going to be cautioned about two very important things in our own lives. So if you want to follow along with me, I'm going to start by reading John 21, 15. And we'll walk our way through this over the next few minutes. John 21:15 says when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, "Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these?" And he, that is Peter, said, "Yes, Lord, you know that I love you." And he said to him, "Feed my lambs." Now, if we were to read the first 15 verses of this chapter, we would find out that Jesus had appeared to the disciples again last week, the last two weeks actually, Tim was talking about Jesus appearing to the disciples after he had gone to the cross. So this is a third time that Jesus had appeared to the disciples. They weren't all there this time, but there was a few of them there. And uh, what had happened was Peter had decided to go back to fishing. Uh, You know, some of you, if you've been here, you know the story of what happened with Peter, right? Peter was the guy, if you don't know this, Peter was always the guy that was ready to jump, right? You remember that from some of the other stuff that we had talked about? Peter had all the energy. Peter was impetuous. Peter was ready to go. If you said, hey, let's do this, Peter was gone before you finished your sentence. Peter was all in, except to when it got kind of difficult, and Jesus was being tried. He had been arrested. He was being tried. And then you know, if you've been with us and looking at these passages, that Peter denied Jesus, flat out denied that he even knew him three times. I think maybe, if I can read into this a little bit, that Peter was probably a little disheartened by his conduct. He was a little discouraged. He was upset with himself. He knew he shouldn't have done it, but he did. He had denied Jesus three times very publicly. 
Now, as far as we know, Jesus had not directly addressed this with Peter yet. And I think Peter was kind of thinking, you know, I'm probably, I'm probably done here. Probably Jesus is done with me. So Peter says, I'm going to go back to what I know, and that's fishing. So he grabs a boat. If you read the first 15 verses of chapter 21, he grabs a boat. He grabs a net. Some of the other guys say, yeah, we'll go with you. We don't even know where Jesus is at this point. And they go out, and they fish all night long. And I have to think that God was in control of this too because Peter, who had once made his living as a fisherman, spent all night in the boat and he didn't catch one fish. The morning dawned, empty nets, empty boat, frustrated Peter, and Jesus is standing on the shore. Hey guys, how's the fishing? We haven't gotten anything. Try dropping the net on the other side of the boat. Listen, if there's anything that I'm not, besides a gardener, it's a fisherman. But I do understand the dynamic. If I am sitting in my kayak and my line is on this side with the lure, and there's a fish on this side, he has every capability of swimming under my kayak to get the lure. I'm not sure if it matters which side I put the line in on. They had to be thinking, what is this guy talking about? But somebody said, it's Jesus. So they put the net down on the other side. 153 fish in one drop of the net. So much so that they're trying, there's five or six, they're trying to haul it into the boat. They can't get the net into the boat because of so many fish. So what does Peter do? Does Peter say, step aside, boys, let me get a hold and I'll help you? No, you know what Peter does? He's like, he jumps right out of the boat, right into the water, and heads to shore. You read it there. It says, he hurls himself out of the boat because he's so excited to get to shore. He gets to shore. Jesus says, sit down. Have a little breakfast. I don't know if this went through his mind or not, but I'm thinking, you tell us to put the net down. I got 153 fish. We're trying to get it in here to shore. He gets to the shore. Jesus has already got a fire going with some fish on the grill. Anyway, <laughs> Peter sits down with Jesus, and they start to eat. Meanwhile, the other disciples, it says, are desperate. They're dragging the net on the outside of the boat trying to get it to shore, Jesus and Peter are already having their breakfast. And Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Do you know what that was like? That was like when I really screwed up and my father said, Michael Robert, what did you do? That's what Jesus was doing. Simon was Peter's given name. Jesus had just called him Peter as a nickname. Simon, son of John, do you love me? You know that I do. And feed my sheep. 
why did Jesus address it this way? Why did he do it with the other disciples around? Maybe because the denial was so public, he wanted the restoration to be public too. Verse 16, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Jesus asked him a second time and a third time, why? Three denials, three affirmations, maybe. But there's something different the third time. It says, Peter was grieved because he asked him a third time. I don't think Peter was grieved because Jesus was frustrating him or wasting his time. I think Peter was grieved because he sensed that Jesus felt like he needed to confirm with Peter that he really did love him because he had made such a public denial. But he was grieved. And I think in being grieved, Peter acknowledged his frailty. And he acknowledged his sin. He acknowledged his imperfections. Yes, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. You know that it was stupid for me to deny you. You know that I'm heartbroken about this. You know all of that. That's what Peter was saying. Verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, that is Peter, follow me. Now verse 18 is a, is a very strange and interesting verse. What in the world does that mean when you were young? You used to get up and do whatever you want to do, but there's a time coming. And he explains it, Jesus explains it in verse 19, and says that this is telling about how Peter is going to die. Someone is going to pick you up and spread your hands out and take you where you don't want to go. He explains to Peter how he's going to die. We'll talk about that a bit more in a minute. And what he's really saying to Peter is this. Peter, you need to learn to lay aside control of your life. This is how you've lived your life all the time. You're a big, strong guy. You're independent. You're capable. You're outgoing. You're energetic. You're enthusiastic. And you've done everything that you've wanted to do. But I'm telling you, this needs to change. And how does Jesus close this? How does Jesus end this? little soliloquy to Peter, he says, follow me. Look at verse 20. Because Peter, forgiven, it seems so, perfect, not quite. Peter does something very, very human. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's a reference of John to himself, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. 
the one who had leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? Betray you? When Peter saw John, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not going to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? So, John, so Peter does something very human. He looks at John and he compares himself to John. Hey Jesus, what about this guy? Okay, so i got to give up my life. I'm going to have to stretch my hands out and get carried where I don't want to go. But what about this guy? Is he going to have to do that too? And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, What if I want him to live forever? What if I want him to live to be 100 years old, or 200 years old, or 400 years old? What is that to you, Peter? What difference does that make to you? If I'm going to lose control of my life, if I'm going to suffer and die, what about them? Are they going to suffer and die too? See, Peter presumed that Jesus would deal with John and work in John's life and walk John through the same things that he was going to walk Peter through. You see, listen, folks, to Peter... That was logical. Hey, if I got to do this, John must have to do this too. And James and Andrew and Bartholomew and Thaddeus, Thomas, Nathaniel. What did Jesus say? He said, Peter, what is that to you? Just follow. A bunch of the other disciples presume too. You see how easy this is for us to do? Because the other disciples that were there, they were listening on the conversation, and they started spreading the word around saying that John was not going to die. Jesus didn't say John wasn't gonna die, was going to die. What did he say? He said, I'll do with John what I want to do with John. Don't you worry about it. But they presume too. They presumed that they knew what God was going to do in John's life. So, what's here for us? I think there's really important stuff here that we need to know, guys. First of all, let's see two very important things to learn about Jesus. Here's the first one. Though he does not need you, Jesus wants you to be involved in building his church. Did you know that? Did you, under, did you know both parts of that statement? Did you know that Jesus does not need you? He doesn't need you, but he wants you. He wants you to be part of building his church. Now I'm going to guess that 99% of us or more would have just written Peter off. We'd be like, we are done with that guy. Right? I mean, he keeps sticking his foot in his mouth. He keeps screwing up. He keeps jumping before he knows what he's doing. My goodness, we were right at the end when I'm trying to give myself up so I can die, and he lops the guy's ear off. 
I mean, he's a loose cannon. We do not want him involved in what we're doing. Can't you picture if it was you or I, us having secret meetings with the rest of the disciples? Don't tell Peter, but we need to get together. Listen, we are leaving this guy. Don't tell Peter where the next meeting is. But Jesus doesn't do that. He gives Peter another chance. He sees Peter as as valuable to his mission to save people. And friends, I want you to understand that Jesus sees you the same way. Despite your frailty, despite your sin, despite your inconsistency, Jesus looks at you and he says, he is valuable to my mission to save people. She is valuable to my mission to save people. And I want them to be a part of what I'm doing here. Jesus says in Matthew 16, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He doesn't need us, but he wants us to be a part of what he's doing. The second very important thing to learn about Jesus is this, that Jesus' purpose and path for you is unique. Peter became one of the driving forces behind the spread of the gospel. Now this is the end of John, chapter 21 is the end, but if you, you know, lick your finger and turn the page to Acts chapter 1, You read Acts 1, Acts 2, Acts 3, what happens in the next couple of weeks after this little incident? Jesus sends the Holy Spirit after he returns to heaven. The Spirit empowers Peter. And in a matter of days, he preaches two sermons and more than 5,000 people come to Christ. And Peter just... He just blossoms with a wonderful mix of this incredible personality and the ability that God has given him and the energy and the strength that he has combined with, this is key, the guidance of the Holy Spirit, Peter just lights up. People are coming to Christ. Peter is standing up in front of the religious leaders and saying when they tell him to stop teaching this truth about Jesus, Peter says, you can do whatever you want to me. It doesn't matter. I'm going to keep on preaching. And do you know what the rulers said? They had their little meeting over to the side and they said, you know what? I don't think it's going to matter what we do. We're not going to stop these guys. John's path was different. John was there. He was certainly involved and provided valuable leadership for the church, but his role was much less visible. Secular historians say that just a few short years after this, Peter was arrested for the final time, and he was condemned to be crucified like Jesus. But he didn't think himself worthy of dying the same way that Jesus did. And so he requested that he be crucified upside down. And what did Jesus say? 
He said, Peter, there's going to become a time, there's going to be a time where you are going to spread your arms out and you are going to go where you do not want to go. And that's exactly what happened. And he lost his life. John, on the other hand, is believed to be the only apostle who didn't give his life directly as a martyr for the sake of Jesus. He lived to be in his 90s. They didn't know what to do with him because they couldn't stop him from preaching either. So they decided to exile him to a little island there. Just go over there and you won't bother anybody and you won't be able to win anybody. And when he was on that little island, God gave him a vision and inspired him to write the book of Revelation. God has a unique path for you too. But it's going to look very different than the path that he has for your friend, your neighbor, your child, your parent, your gifts, your circumstances, your trials, your struggles, your relationships. None of it is going to look the same as the person next to you. It's unique to you. And that leads us to two very important cautions. Here's the first caution. Your focus needs to be on your devotion and duty to Christ. Don't be distracted by your failures. Don't be distracted by your sin. Confess them to Jesus and ask for his strength and keep going like Peter did. Don't be distracted by what you don't know. Peter didn't know what was going to happen next. And many times we don't either. We need to understand that it's not ours to know why God does what he does. He is God and you are not. What he says to us is the same thing that he said to Peter. Just follow. We don't get all the details. We don't get to see into the future. We don't know what's going to happen if we make this decision or that decision. What Jesus says to us is this. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do what I'm asking you to do. Now God's not asking us to follow him blindly. On the contrary, he reveals much about himself to us in his word. And our trust grows as our knowledge of him grows. Here's a second caution for us. The first is our focus needs to be on our devotion and duty to Christ. But here's the second caution. It comes out of the first one, and it's this. You must not judge your fellow Christ followers. You must not judge your fellow Christ followers. See, Peter made a mistake. He tried to compare his life to John. And what did Jesus say? What did Jesus say when Peter tried to compare his life to John? You know what he said? He said, what's that to you? That's between me and John, not you and me. See, it's easy for us to look at each other and make judgments. And sometimes I hear people misquote this verse from Matthew. By your fruit you shall know them. And what people mean when they misquote that verse is, by your fruit you will judge them. That's not what Jesus says. He says, by, your fruit, by their fruit you will know them. 
by what you see happening or not happening in other people's lives, it, it helps us to know each other. Helps us understand how to care for each other because Jesus calls us to love our fellow Christ followers, not to judge them. Love them, encourage them, challenge them. Here's the common mistake that we make. We don't know what's going on in another person's heart. We can't read their motives. We can see what they're doing or not doing. That is true. But Jesus says, it's not your job to judge. I'm the judge. We make a mistake when we compare ourselves to others. Well, this is what's happening in my life. This is what happened to me, or this is why it happened, or how it happened. And and so this is what I'm doing. Well, that's good. That's between you and God. But that doesn't mean that's how it works in my life, or his life, or her life. Friends, God doesn't tell us everything. He doesn't have to. Because he's God, and we're not. But he does tell us enough. He says, love me. Love each other. Serve those around you. Sacrifice for the sake of others. And don't worry about what you don't know. Just follow. I believe that's what he's asking us to do here this morning as a church. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what's going to happen next week. We don't know what's going to happen with that building. We don't know what's going to happen with our church. But he is calling us to love him, to love each other, and to follow. We don't know what we don't know. But he does. Will you stand with us this morning? We're going to close with our new song. encourage you to listen as we sing these lyrics together. And ask God what he is doing in your life as he calls you to follow. I don't know what's coming next for me. And I don't know what's coming next for you. But Jesus does. And when we submit ourselves to him and we follow him, we're showing that we trust that he can guide us through it. He's already been there. He is past, present, and future. He is eternal. He has already been to tomorrow. He is tomorrow. And we come together as a church and trust Him and sacrifice ourselves, surrender ourselves to Him and follow in that way. Then He will work and He will use us and He will impact this community. He will change our lives and He will use us as He changes others. That's our dream. That's our hope for Mossbrook Church. Not necessarily for a thousand people, for the sake of a thousand people, only to impact this community. God knows what's coming next. We ask him to lead and we'll just follow. Father, thank you so much for the clarity of your word and your truth. Thank you for the example of Peter. Thank you for using him mightily and showing us that despite our inconsistencies, despite our sin, You can use us to accomplish great things for your church and for your name's sake. And that's what we're praying here this morning. Use each of us, the abilities you've given us, the resources that we have in a way that's honoring to you. Please, Father, lead us and we will follow. As we go out into the world, out into our communities, our homes and our neighborhoods this week, I pray that you will use us to honor you. In Christ's name, amen.